So I'm not sure how many of y'all know this, but I have been here, um, it'll be 11 years in August. Um, So I've I've been here quite a long time, um, and I feel like I should give up my preaching time to Ben this morning, because in 11 years here at Madison, um, that is the first time in any sermon anybody's gotten an audible wow. Um, So... Ben is spirit-filled and speaking the word this morning. Uh, today is a, is a special day. Um, it's a special day we celebrate seniors. Uh, it's a special day as we gather together to celebrate the Lord. Um, and in this, in this series that we've been walking through, we've been looking at the witnesses post-resurrection. The witnesses of Christ. What do these appearances of Christ mean for us? What does the response of the people that he appears to mean for us? And as we dive into our scripture this morning, um, I know it was a lot of verses, but it's, it's one beautiful story that's woven together. And when we first begin in John chapter 21, it says, After this. Whenever you read a scripture and you hear after this, if you don't know what was before, you should go back. You should read back so and it says after this, you know the context in which this story, these verses are taking place. What happens before this, where Jesus appears to these disciples who are fishing out on a beach? What happens is what Barry talked about last week. He appears to a room full of disciples who are scared, who are doubtful, who are hiding because they're afraid for their lives. And he appears to Thomas, and he says, You doubt? Touch my hands, touch my side. I am here physically. He encourages them, he lifts them up. And so it's after this that Jesus appears again to his disciples several days later. And that's where we pick up this morning. It says, He revealed himself in this way. You've got Simon and Thomas, you've got Nathaniel. James and John, the son of Zebedee, and then you have two other of his disciples. They were together. So there's seven guys that are together, hanging out, doing what guys do. And Simon Peter, the oldest, the leader, says, I'm going fishing. And what do the other guys do? They say, hey, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. It says they go out in the boat. They spend all night fishing. They catch nothing. I absolutely love this because you hear so many people in today's world say the Bible's outdated. It's irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything today. Culture has changed. If I show you a group of guys hanging out together, and one of them says, hey, let's go fishing, the other ones will be like, all right, sweet, let's go. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to go shoot some basketball. All right, cool, me too. Hey, I'm going to the game. All right, let's go, whatever. That's what we do. It's kind of like if there's a group of ladies together, and one says, hey, i got to go to the bathroom. you got four others that pop up. I'll go with you. Yes. So you've got seven guys hanging out, and Peter says, let's go fishing. And as Ben asked this morning, why fishing? Of all things, why fishing? Well, four of these seven disciples that are hanging out together, that's all they did before they knew Jesus. You have Peter and his brother, 
And you have James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That's what their profession was before they gave it up to follow Jesus. So in this time of trouble, in this time of of fear, in this time of doubt, I'm going to do something that I know. I'm going to do something that's comfortable for me because there's still people out here that are looking to take our lives, that are upset because we follow Jesus. There's still people that are saying that we're, we're blasphemers. And what else just happened in their lives? They saw their teacher crucified just over a week ago. And then a few days before this, he appears to them in a room saying, hey, I'm alive. Everything's good. I'd be questioning what was even real in my life. So when they're stressed, they're confused, they're fearful, let's go fishing. Let's do something that we know how to do. Let's just be out on the water. And some of y'all, maybe it's go sit in a deer stand. Some of y'all, it's I just want to sit with my coffee and watch the sunrise. I'm going to find a place for me that I'm at peace, that I know, that I'm comfortable in. But the deal is when you go fishing, the point is to catch some fish. And if you got seven guys in a boat and they go out at night and then it's the next morning that they're coming in and they have no fish, this piece that they're looking for probably turned into a little frustration. So I don't know anybody out here, if you've ever fished all night and didn't catch anything, you're not exactly the happiest camper coming in the next morning. But it says in our scripture this morning that just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't recognize him. They didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. Now I know we love this beautiful picture of Jesus as though he's just, Hey, my children, my guys, do you have anything? He's just this loving guy. But the Greek word that he actually uses here, paideon, is little infant or little babies. You've got a group of seven guys rowing in from a frustrating day of fishing, and Jesus knows full well they haven't caught a thing, and he says, hey, little kids, you got any fish? I absolutely love that it shows that Jesus has a sense of humor. He's fully man and fully God, and he's messing with seven of his best friends as he's yelling out to them, do you even know what you're doing, you little kids, you little infants? You guys can't even fish, can you? And of course, that would probably frustrate them further. But he's messing with them, and he's fully man, fully God. And that sense of humor shows us that he's fully man. But what happens next shows us that he's fully divine. And he says to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some fish. And I'm sure they didn't take that lightly. I'm sure they weren't like, sure, random stranger on the shore. We'll listen to you as you just heckled us after a night of fruitless fishing. But they did it. And it says that they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land. This scene is absolutely incredible. This group of frustrated fishermen, out for a night of fishing, confused, troubled by everything going on in their life, hoping to, hey, let's just catch some fish and everything will be fun. Hey, good catch. If you've ever been fishing, somebody hauls in a good catch and everybody's excited. It's like golf. 
You can go 20 times and be as frustrated as possible. You get one good shot and you're like, this is what it's all about. I could do this again. But after their grumblings, they throw their nets in. And it's because of the haul of fish that one disciple recognizes. That's got to be Jesus. That's got to be Jesus. And he recognizes this because this is the same miracle that Jesus performed in Luke 5 when he called Peter and Andrew and James and John in the beginning. James and John were there, and it was one of them that said, I recognize this miracle. I recognize who has the power over creation. That guy on the shore, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. And guys, this is the only recorded natural miracle in Scripture that is post-resurrection. It's the only one. And so it brings us to our point this morning, that Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He still reigns today just like he reigned then. Because I guarantee you some of those doubts came from this, that no mere man can be beaten and scourged within an inch of his life, forced to carry his own instrument of death. He was mocked, crucified, and humiliated. Then he was laid in the tomb for several days. Then he reappears and he commands the seas to bring about a great harvest. No mere man can do that. No, that's God alone that holds that power. And the disciple whom Jesus loved recognizes that. And he says, that, that is Jesus. Jesus still reigns today. He descended to the dead. He's alive again. He holds power over creation today, right now, 2023. He is still the one who the wind and the waves obey. He reigns over creation. He reigns over our fears. He reigns over our doubts. He reigns over our struggles. Our circumstances today are nothing in comparison of our God who still reigns today. Is there a circumstance or problem or struggle in your life that you need to let the Lord reign over? That you need to give to Him? Nothing is too big. Nothing scares Him off. Because he reigns. And Hebrews tells us he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus himself promises that he will walk with us to the end of the age. We have a God who reigns. Something else that's beautiful in this miracle that, that we don't often talk about is that Jesus uses the obedience of the disciples. It's the obedience of the disciples that gives Jesus this platform for this miracle. He tells them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. What if they just said, no? Well, that's the end of that story, I guess. No, they say, okay, we'll do it. And Jesus brings about a great harvest. The fishermen didn't bring about a great harvest. They tried all night without Jesus, and it wasn't nothing. But once they obey the word of the Lord... The harvest is so great they can't even contain it. What a beautiful picture of us being called to ministry as Christians. God wants to bring about a great harvest. But just as Jesus tells us in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Who's willing to cast a net on the other side of the boat? See, guys, Jesus doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't need us. But the beauty is that he invites us to be part of what he's doing. And that's extraordinary. See, our obedience could be a platform for the work of God. 
Several years ago, we took a mission trip with this church. Um, some of those people are here this morning that went on this trip to Belize, um, where one of the ministries we were doing was bunk bed ministry in Belize. And I may have told this story before, but I'll tell it till the day that I die. Um, and we're building bunk beds as part of our ministry in Belize with our student ministry team. And when you're in Belize, there's not like a Home Depot where you can just roll up and buy all the lumber that you want. you got to kind of order literally a log and tell them the dimensions you want, and they'll cut you a, some two-by-fours out of your log or whatever, and they'll dress it up for you. Um, so we ordered beforehand through our missions organization. We ordered all our lumber beforehand. Our lumber was delivered. Uh, one of the days, we were going to put all the sides together, two sides per bunk bed. And we were doing six bunk beds for children that didn't have places to sleep. A couple of kids that we built these bunk beds for were sleeping on dirt floors. Some were sleeping on a laundry pile. There were three kids that shared a recliner. But we were just going to meet a need, to share the love of Christ. So we, we cut all the lumber up, we put the sides together, and we have 11 sides. We're like, well, quick math, 12 divided by 2. Okay, that's not enough for six beds. Our guys were frustrated. Our whole team was frustrated that night. What are we going to do? In two days, we're supposed to go to these houses and put these sides together and have bunk beds for these kids, and they're expecting them. What are we going to do? So that night at debrief, we talk it over. We're like, okay, in the morning, our trip leader, Andy, and I, we'll go together. We'll go um, you know, 10, 15 minutes down the road to one of the, the lumber yards and see if they have enough to dress up enough so we can create another side for a bunk bed. Um, you guys keep doing some work at the school, the VBS. We'll divide and conquer. We'll try and make this happen. Um, we're getting ready for bed that night, and George Taylor, who's not here, um, uh, as they moved off to Starkville, love that guy, but he pulls out of his pocket that night the keys to the shipping container where we've been doing our work. He's like, man, I should have left these with Eustace. The house we were working at, where our work site was, was about 30-minute drive. We'd get on a school bus, and we'd go every morning versus where the church was that we stayed at night. I was like, we're going there in the morning for breakfast. Just hold on to them. We'll be good. We'll, we'll be fine. He's like, Okay. So we go to bed that night. We don't think anything of it. We get up the next morning. We drive to our workstation. I go with Andy. We go um, to pick up some lumber. We wait there for a little while. They dress it up. We get the lumber. We go back. Um, and we get there. And the guys are working on some lumber in the yard. Our students are, are working on some lumber. And they'll go, you'll never guess what just happened. You'll never guess what just happened. What? Well, the lumber that we originally ordered... Before we got there, they said, hey, we shorted you guys. We realized we shorted you guys a little lumber, so they brought us what we were owed. And we were like, oh, well, that's cool. But now we have a whole nother side, so we've got 13 six-and-a-half beds because <laughs> we just bought another side. Um, and we're like, okay, well, let's just put them all together, put them in the shipping container where the rest of the sides are. And we open up that shipping container for the first time since the day before. And I'll never forget it, Ian Carmichael. He's on my soccer team now um, in med school down at UMC. He comes out and he's like, Corey, you'll never believe this. I said, what? He said, there's, there's 12 sides already in here. I said, no, there's not. No, there's not. Yeah, there's 12 sides already in here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We go in there and there's 12 sides in here. And now we have another side that the lumberyard just delivered and the side that me and Andy brought over. So now we have an extra bunk bed. And I kid you not, about 10 minutes later, Eustace comes walking back from the school and he says, you'll never guess, I was just talking with a lady at the church or at the school. 
Her husband died this fall from a heart attack, and she has two kids who don't have a place to sleep. The obedience from some of our students allowed God to work a miracle. What he invites us to be a part of is absolutely incredible. If you'll just be obedient to what he's calling you to do. And I love Peter's response when he hears that Jesus is on that shore. He's like, what? That's Jesus? I'm out. But most of us, we'd be like, oh, I got my nice stuff on. I got to take something off. Peter's probably in an ephod or kind of his underwear because he's out there fishing all night and it's hot and it's wet and it's not a pretty profession. He's like, I'm going to throw clothes on and I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do my best Michael Phelps to get out there to Jesus. He puts on his outer garment because it's a sign of respect. Because he is about to go meet with his Lord, his Savior, his Master, his Rabbi. It's kind of like when Ben or Barry or Linda are wearing their robes on Sunday. Um, it's a sign of respect. It's, for me, it's like wearing long pants. Like, hey, <laughs> you know that I, I'm being respectful in that moment. On Friday, I had a meeting with Barry and some other people, and I was wearing a Liverpool shirt, and he was like, really, Liverpool? And I said, at least it has a collar. And he said, you're right. It does. You do at least have a collar on. I'll give you that. But Peter, out of his respect for the Lord, puts his cloak on and swims 100 meters because he wants to be near Jesus. Then they get out on land and Jesus has a charcoal fire already lit. There's a fire in place. There's fish on it. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you guys have. Peter went and he got some fish out of the boat. It says there's 153 of them. And all there, there were so many, the net wasn't torn. A few things about these is, I love that Jesus already has some fish on the fire. He's already called them little kids out on the boat. He said, you can't catch anything, let me help you out. And then they, Peter gets out of the water, he's like, really, you already cooking fish? You already caught some after you made fun of us? And then there's an exact count. Some of you that have been fishing have told some stories. And those stories tend to vary. Man, it was this big. Two years later, this fish was this big. These guys don't want any doubt. Man, there were so many fish. No, there were 153. We counted them. Because this is true. Because this happened. Because Jesus performed this miracle right in front of us. And the net wasn't torn. These weren't nets that could be mass-produced. These were hand-woven nets that so often needed repairs. It's a small little miracle that I love, John, that includes that. There was such a great harvest, but the net wasn't torn. They were blessed by this harvest. And then it says, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Come sit and eat. And what's beautiful in this, and brings us to our second point this morning, is that Jesus replenishes us. He meets a physical need of the disciples. When you've been out fishing all day, or all night in their case, and you come in, you're tired, you're weary, you're hungry, and Jesus says, I'll meet that need. And again, a beautiful picture for us in ministry is when we meet a need and we go to where people are, they're so much more open to hear what we have to say. Jesus replenishes them physically. And one of the beautiful parts of these verses is there's mystery, there's simplicity, but it says nothing about what Jesus says to them during breakfast. It doesn't say a word about their conversation. 
They just get to be with Jesus. I had breakfast at Primo's this past week with several of our seniors. I don't remember half of what we talked about. I know some of it, but it was about being together, building a relationship, encouraging one another. And perhaps the disciples just needed to spend some time with Jesus, even if it was over a meal sitting by a fire by a lake. Abby and I share an odd bond other than husband and wife. Um, her mother had breast cancer when she was a teenager, and my mom um, battled breast cancer um, just over six years ago. And both of our moms have, have won that battle, and it's incredible to see. But Abby, for me, was, an, was a great resource during my time because she had been through that. She knew what it meant to watch her, her hero, her provider, her mother struggle through that, through that um, battle. And it's not pretty to watch someone fight through chemo and radiation. There's nothing glamorous about that. And Abby will tell you um, that she held tightly to a certain song while her mom was battling this, and she'll still sing it around our house occasionally, but the words are this. When I cannot feel, when my wounds don't heal, Lord, I humbly kneel, hidden in you. Lord, you are my life, so I don't mind to die as just as long as I'm hidden in you. Because I could just sit with you a while, and you could just hold me. Nothing can touch me, though I'm wounded, though I've died. If I could just sit with you a while, I need you to hold me moment by moment till forever passes by. For Abby, just being with Jesus was spiritual replenishment. And maybe this morning, you're at a place where you need Jesus to replenish your life. Maybe there's a place you need to turn over to him to reign. Maybe there's a place where you're struggling, you're hurting, you're upset. You just need to be with Jesus. Maybe that's opening the word over breakfast. Maybe that's spending some time in prayer by a fire, by a lake. Just spend some time with Jesus and allow him to replenish you. And our last point this morning comes from this this last beautiful conversation. It says, after breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon Peter, do you love me? And it says, Peter was upset. He was grieved. You're asking me again? Do I love you? Yes, Lord. You know everything about me. You know that I love you. He asks him one time for every denial that he gave just over a week before. When the girl says, this man was with him, and Peter says, I don't know you, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. When the crowd says, you were one of the disciples, and Peter says, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my lambs. When the man comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I wasn't. I have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. See, Jesus redeems and restores. Jesus redeems and restores. I'm sure Peter, it says, after he denied Jesus, he went out and he wept bitterly. 
He wept bitterly because he saw himself as completely unworthy. I'm not worthy to follow Christ because I've denied him. I'm not worthy to lead his flock. I'm not worthy to help build his church. Look what I've done. I'm going to go fishing. But here comes Jesus with a two-part question and command. A A question of redemption and commitment and restoration to his calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I know you denied me, but you love me. I've got a job for you, feed my sheep. I know you denied me, but you love me. I've got a job for you, tend my flock. I know you denied me, but you love me. Feed my sheep. Jesus goes on to tell Peter right after this, Peter, you're going to die in a way that's not very pretty but I'm going to use it for my kingdom. I'm going to use it to glorify the kingdom. And this is the exact thing that Peter was afraid of before. I might lose my life. And Peter says, let's do it. I'm all in. Because forgiveness is a powerful thing. Forgiveness, it empowers the forgiven and it frees the forgiver. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. See, this is the redeeming power of forgiveness, and Jesus offers it to us. So stop fighting against God. Let his forgiveness redeem and restore you and empower you for ministry to the world. So is there something this morning that you need to give up to the Lord? Maybe there's a forgiveness that you need to offer someone in your life because it is powerful. And so seniors, here in just a second, I'm going to invite up Um, our small group leaders for the last several years, uh, Mark and Doug and Sarah, to come forward in just a second and and take part in honoring you guys. Um, But I I wanted to challenge you guys with a couple of things, and I want you to remember these three things. That Jesus reigns. Not just here at Madison UMC, not just in your hometown in Madison, but in Starkville, in Oxford, in Tuscaloosa, praise God, and throughout the ends of the earth... He is over all things. Jesus reigns. He's over all things to the ends of the earth. Never forget who sits on the throne. Never forget who sits on the throne. And then Jesus replenishes. Life's going to be hard sometimes. It's ever-changing. The world can be cruel. And most things are temporary in this world. But Jesus isn't. And spending time with him can replenish you. So make time for Jesus. And then lastly this, Jesus restores and redeems. Nothing that you can do, nothing that you have done is too much for God. He has grace, he has mercy, so don't fight him but run to him. Don't run from him, but allow him and allow his grace and forgiveness to wash over you and to cleanse you. So I'm going to invite Mark Hikes to come on up. Um, And as he's coming up, um, I would just say this class is absolutely incredible. Um, It's been a joy and honor to walk through life with them for the last several years. Um, And this morning, um, we have a class of, tonight we'll have our crawfish boil, and there's going to be 30-plus seniors there to to impart their wisdom, some serious, some not so serious, um, upon the next generation of students. Um, There's six that we're honoring this morning in this service And there'll be 16 in the 1045 service, which goes to show me not many of them are going to sign up for 8 a.m. classes. Um, 
but this class is incredible. Um, we're proud of you guys. Um, and so never forget who's on the throne.